Would you open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 1? We'll be reading from verses 16 to verse 28. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to pull a Bible from the chair in front of you. You can find Mark chapter 1 on page 836. Hear the word of God, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do exalt this morning in the glorious name of of Jesus. We cry out, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And we worship saying there is no one like Jesus. We praise you that Jesus is the the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We praise you that Jesus is true bread from heaven that satisfies and nourishes our souls. We praise you that he is living water. We praise you that he is resurrection and life himself. And Father, we confess this morning as we, we gather, we need the words of Jesus. And we pray that his mighty preaching power would be heard this morning. For those of us who are weak and tired, we pray and we ask that Jesus' word would strengthen us and cause us to to grow strong. For those of us who are depressed and sad, we pray that the word of Jesus would give us comfort and consolation. For those of us who are backsliding and meddling with sin, we pray that the word of Jesus would draw near and that he would pull us back. 
for those of us who don't believe this morning, who refuse to believe. Father, we pray that the word of Jesus would draw near and cause faith to be born. Oh, Father, we pray for a creative work to be done this morning. Oh, Father, be our help. You are our rock and our fortress, our safe place. Show us your grace once again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus of Nazareth, the one that we meet in the Gospel of Mark, is one who is uniquely fit for his work as the bearer of the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 1 verse 1 tells us the glorious title given to Jesus. He is the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus, as the Christ, the Son of God, is the one to whom all the prophets point to and look to and anticipate. And John sets our gaze upon the significance of Jesus when he preached in Mark chapter 1. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Mark works to remove our doubts about this Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Mark presents to us a threefold confirmation of who Jesus is. The heavens are rent, they're split open, the Spirit descends upon Jesus, and we hear this booming voice from heaven You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And Jesus has met in the muddy waters of the Jordan with a, a divine stamp of approval. But nonetheless, this beloved Son of God was put to the test. Into the wilderness, the Son of God was driven. The Spirit thrust him out. And he entered into the ancient testing grounds, the testing grounds where Israel wandered and their hard hearts were exposed. And here in the wilderness, the Son of God faces the ancient serpent, that very serpent who beguiled and deceived Eve. And while Mark doesn't give us many details about this great conflict between the Son of God and the serpent Satan, Jesus' entrance into Galilee tells us all that we need to know. These credentials that Jesus bears, Christ, Son of God, beloved Son, are all genuine. This Jesus of Nazareth is no pretender or or imposter. And the furnace of affliction proves so. And Jesus preached a message of victory when he went into Galilee after his testing in the wilderness, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And Jesus' preaching that day when he arrived in Galilee revealed the long-awaited news. The God of Israel is returning and he is going to set all things right. Justice will roll down like waters in righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amos says of that day. And what Jesus says that day in Galilee does not only reveal the the content of the gospel, but Jesus' actions that day in Galilee reveal the great work that Jesus has been called to. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is a preacher, is a proclaimer, is a herald of the gospel. And as we survey the work of Jesus throughout the Gospel of Mark, the work of preaching takes a preeminent place in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus' first public appearance centers on his preaching. Mark says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God. And preaching is the very work that Jesus refuses to be distracted from. 
Jesus does mighty deeds in Capernaum and around Galilee, and his fame grows and expands. And Mark records in chapter 1, verse 33, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and his, his fame spreads. But Jesus wasn't seduced by the crowds or his popularity or his fame. Jesus responds to his disciples. He says, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. If we switch gospels, moving from the gospel of Mark to the gospel of Luke, Luke records the same scene, but he gives greater emphasis. Luke chapter 4, verses 42 and 43 say, The people sought Jesus. And they came to Jesus, and they would have kept Jesus from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus sees a divine necessity in his work of preaching. He must do this. He was sent for this very purpose to preach the kingdom of God. And preaching even finds preeminence within discipleship. Jesus calls the 12 to himself, not for the reason so they could have a bunch of groupies or he could have guys hanging around him all the time. Rather, when Jesus called these men, they were given a new vocation. We see in our own text this morning, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And as the story of Mark progresses, we will see that Jesus even shares his, his pulpit with these men. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends these men out to the towns of Israel that they might proclaim the good news of the kingdom and that they might command the people to repent. And what we see in the pages of Mark are only hints of a greater mission of preaching. The preeminence of preaching does not die at the cross of Christ. Rather, the resurrected Christ impels his church to make disciples of all nations. And how is the church to do this? By teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And the ascended Christ propels his church to preach by the, the power of the Spirit. What happens at the day of Pentecost is that Jesus pours his Spirit out, out on the church and, and the church rises up in witness to Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, controlled by the Spirit, says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. And it is this work of preaching that is to have preeminent place within the local church throughout the ages. It is by the preaching of the gospel that the church is built up and sustained. Paul says in the book of Romans, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And preaching is to be the continual apostolic mark of the gathered church. Paul commands Timothy in 2 Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. It doesn't matter what happens, Timothy. It doesn't matter what time it is. Be ready to preach the word. And this work of preaching does not just rest upon a small number of men who labor in the pulpit week after week. But the church as it gathers and as worships and lives bears a prophetic preaching mantle to the world. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you, speaking to the church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And Peter lists off a bunch of characteristics about the church. Who are we? We're, we're a chosen people. We're a, a royal people. We're a priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're God's very possession. And why has he done these things to the church? What is the purpose? 
that we, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The church corporately witnesses to the watching world. We as one people, as we gather together, raise up one voice in testifying to the one gospel. Now I trace out this story, and there's a, there's a story here. It begins with Jesus in his preaching in the days of Galilee. And we move ahead to the apostles in the early church, Peter and Paul. And we even move forward in the story of preaching to preaching in our own day. And I tell you this story for a purpose, to make a, a point. Our understanding of preaching must be historically and scripturally rooted. Our understanding of preaching, its, its usefulness and its, its power, its goal, its makeup, must be traced back to the very source of preaching itself. And the source of preaching is the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about Christian preaching, we could say, Jesus is the great taproot of Christian preaching. Jesus is the one who came into Galilee preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus explained his own ministry saying, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God for I was sent for this purpose. And as the taproot of all Christian preaching, Jesus himself sets the trajectory, the, the content of all preaching. And Jesus as the taproot of Christian preaching is also the very one who animates, who gives life to all preaching of the word through his spirit. So our aim this morning as we look into the gospel of Mark, we want to look into Mark and ask two questions in light of the story of preaching. The first question is a historical and scriptural question. What was the character of Jesus' preaching? And the second question, which builds off of this historical and scriptural question, is what impact does Jesus' preaching have upon the church today? So let's start looking at our text this morning. Our text is verses 16 through 28. And these verses naturally flow out of Jesus' preaching on the kingdom of God. Last week, in verses 14 and 15, we heard the great content of the gospel. Jesus proclaimed, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And in verses, in four, in verses 14 and 15, Mark foregrounds the content of the gospel. But as we move forward in the story, Mark begins to reveal the tangible workings of this gospel. Even more, we begin as we move forward in this story to grasp the significance of Jesus' own preaching. And so verses 16 through 28 are made up of, of two particular scenes. Jesus calls his first four disciples. In the second scene, Jesus encounters an unclean spirit in the synagogue while he's preaching and teaching. And here in these verses, Mark gives us two vignettes two scenes into which the character of Jesus' preaching is revealed. And Mark draws us close to these vignettes so that we might see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears what Jesus' preaching and ministry was really like and what his preaching and ministry really accomplished. So we can look at our first vignette this morning, vignette number one. And this scene takes place in a, a rather tranquil setting. Jesus is passing alongside the, the Sea of Galilee. And as we will learn in the Gospel of Mark, when, when Jesus passes by, something extraordinary is going to happen. 
As Jesus makes his way alongside the sea, Jesus encounters two sets of brothers. Now, these two sets of brothers have something in common. They are fishermen. Fishing isn't their hobby. It's not something they do on the weekend for fun, but fishing is their business. This is how they provide for their families. This is how they put food on the table. This is how they clothe their children. And Jesus sees these men going about their business, and he sees them in the midst of their work, and he issues a summons to them. He says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And we have to let these words settle in a little bit this morning. We have to understand the importance of Jesus' call. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus wasn't asking these men for a coffee and donut date down at Tim Hortons. He wasn't asking them to join a Bible study for an hour a week. There's something more going on here than that. Jesus was summoning these men into his service. The summons would demand their their time. It would demand their money. It would demand their allegiance, their safety, and ultimately their lives. Jesus says here, follow me. Jesus' words in Mark chapter 8 should ring in our ears as we think about what this means. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so what happens when Jesus says these words, when he issues this summons to these men fishing? Verse 18, And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 20, And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And the way Mark records the scene is is striking. The preaching of Jesus is effectual in nature. Jesus issues the command and these men immediately follow him with no discussion, with no dialogue, with no promises of a great future, without even knowing the scope and the aim of Jesus' ministry, these men leave behind their boats in their nets, their families, and even their father. And Mark in this striking scene points us not towards the men. When we're reading the gospel, sometimes we can put undue focus on the characters other than Jesus. But Mark directs our focus towards Jesus and he, he leads us to question. Who then is this that even fishermen obey? But before we leave this vignette, we need to circle back to Jesus' words. He says to the two sets of brothers, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Fishers of men, what does that mean? We've heard the story in Sunday school class. We've colored in the papers. And these words fill us with a sense of optimism. And as we think about fishing for ourselves, we think of a, a quiet evening out on the lake. We take our boat out, the sun's setting, we, we cast out our line with a bobber and a hook, and we wait for the fish to bite. And we think this is what preaching might be all about. We, we throw out the gospel and we're going to see what's going to bite. And if the fish aren't biting on worms, perhaps we need to try minnows. And if they're not biting on minnows, maybe we need to try a lure. And if the lure isn't working, then it's probably time just to give up. However, I think this would be a great misunderstanding of Jesus' words and the importance of Jesus' words for a few reasons. First, Simon, Andrew, James, and John didn't fish 
with a line and a hook and a bobber. They fished with a a net, and they would cast the net out, and the net would fall on the fish, and then they would drag the fish in. Even more, they they were fishermen. What do fishermen do with fish? Well, they kill fish, and they eat fish, and they sell fish. And second, more importantly, fishing is used throughout the Old Testament as an image of judgment. Jeremiah chapter 16 records, Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. So what does Jesus mean when he calls these men to be fishers of men? Well, Jesus reveals that the preaching of the gospel is a serious matter. The preaching of the gospel is not an invitation that can be politely declined. The gospel is not an enticing offer. We don't lure people into the kingdom of God. Rather, the preaching of, gospel, of the gospel is issued with a divine summons. Jesus preaches, repent and believe in the gospel. And when Jesus calls these fishermen into his service, he is calling them to share in his vocation of commanding people to repent and believe. And so we could say this morning, those who preach the gospel are like fishermen who drag the fish in with a net. And those who hear the gospel are like fish caught in a net. They cannot escape the summons of the gospel. It barrels down on them. And like a fish caught in the net, either they will obey the gospel and find life, or they will disobey the gospel and find death. We can look at the second vignette that Mark offers us this morning into Jesus' preaching and teaching. And Mark moves us from the sea, the boats, the, the fish, into Capernaum. And Jesus and his new followers, they're, they're green at this point. They make their way into town, and, and Jesus begins to teach in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And here we notice a regular pattern in Jesus' ministry. Matthew records in his gospel, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Synagogue ministry was a part of what Jesus did. And on the Sabbath, it was the custom for the scriptures to be read and for explanations of the scriptures to be made. We can think of Luke chapter 4 in that famous scene when Jesus picks up the scroll and reads from Isaiah chapter 61. And then he gives the explanation. He says, today, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. But in chapter 1, Mark does something different than Matthew or Luke. Mark doesn't tell us the content of Jesus' words that day in the Sabbath. Rather, he describes their character and their effect. Look at verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Mark is doing a work of comparison here. The character of Jesus' teaching is unlike that of the scribes. Jesus' teaching bears authority. When Jesus showed up that day and started teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, he did not need to reference the tradition of the elders. As he was teaching, he he didn't need to go to the shelf and pull a commentary off and say, well, this guy says it, therefore it must be true. He didn't need to consult any authorities to anchor his teaching or to give it weight. 
Rather, as Jesus expounded the kingdom of God, the demand of his words left no wiggle room for his hearers. His teaching didn't leave room for conjecture or finger pointing. His words weren't open to interpretation that day. And Jesus' words came barreling down upon their hearts and his teaching fell upon their shoulders as a, as a load of bricks. And you get this sense in the text. Mark says, and they were astonished at his teaching. Or we could say, these people were fish caught in a net. But the question quickly becomes, what kind of authority does this Jesus bear? Is Jesus just a powerful and dynamic preacher? Is he just a, a charismatic preacher and that's why the, the crowds marvel at him? Or is there something more going on with this man? Is there something more going on in this text? So as we move forward in the story, without any preparation, we're met with an, an intruder. And here Jesus' authority is put to the test. A man with an unclean spirit appears in the synagogue and he, he cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The unclean spirit's not confused about who Jesus is. And the, the demons and the unclean spirits in the Gospel of Mark are never confused about who Jesus is. He sees in Jesus the mighty one that, that John preached about, the mighty one who is coming. And what Jesus does next reveals his great authority to all. He casts out this unclean spirit, not with an incantation or with magic. We don't find Jesus praying fervently in this scene. He doesn't ask for the help of, of God here. But verse 25 says plainly, But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And by the authority of Jesus' word and Jesus' word alone, the unclean spirit flees from his presence. And what happens? Well, the synagogue reacts. You can imagine if you were a Jew, you're going Saturday morning, whatever time they met, to hear the word, hear it explained. All of a sudden, this guy shows up and there's an unclean spirit and bam, gone. Verse 27 says, And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. We can ask again, what kind of authority does Jesus actually bear? What kind of preacher is Jesus? And here in Mark chapter 1, the, the answer comes into focus. This Jesus of Nazareth, this preacher, is no ordinary man. He's no ordinary preacher. He's not just a charismatic and bold preacher. He does not just speak with eloquence. But there's something more to him. There's something different. His words dictate. His words determine reality. And it's interesting to note how the crowds react they don't react as if they heard a man, as if they heard a great preacher that day, but they react as if they heard the voice of the Lord. And if we have our Old Testament ears on this morning, several Old Testament texts should be echoing through them. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 2. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the unclean spirit. Psalm 29 should come into focus. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. We said that this morning. That's what we see in Jesus' ministry. 
And Psalm 33 echoes, for he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. When we hear Jesus preach, when we hear Jesus preach, we hear God preach. Lord Jesus speaks with divine authority. So we've looked at our two vignettes this morning, seen the calling of the disciples, we've seen the casting out of the unclean spirit, and we can return to our questions. What was the character of Jesus' preaching? And what impact does Jesus' preaching have upon the church today? From these two stories, from these two vignettes, we can provide some concrete answers. First characteristic of Jesus' preaching is Jesus' preaching is effectual in nature. Jesus' words and the character of his speaking and preaching and teaching is completely different than ours. I can say many things, but just because I say something doesn't mean something is actually going to happen. We all understand this. We watch the weatherman, and just because the weatherman says it's going to snow or it's going to be sunny doesn't actually mean that's going to happen. His words don't determine or dictate reality. And as we parent our children, we know that our words don't dictate and determine reality. We, we tell our children, do this or that, and it seems like the words just go, Phew. But Jesus is completely different. The Lord Jesus' words are filled with immutable power to accomplish all that he intends. Jesus is so different than us. Jesus' words actually contain the power to accomplish the reality that he commands. And there's so much glory in our text this morning. Just think about Simon, Andrew, James, and John. They're going about their work. They're happily living the fishing life. What else would you want to do with your life but be on the water and catch fish all day? But what changed these men? What reoriented their lives? What was the words of Jesus? He came to them and he, he summoned them. He said, follow me. And Jesus' words not only told them what they had to do, but his words actually produced the obedience for this command. And the proof of Jesus' effectual word is, is found throughout the New Testament. We can recall that tragic scene in, in John chapter 11. Lazarus, the dear friend of the Lord Jesus, dies. And as you read the scene in the book of John, Marthy, Mar Mary and Martha call for Jesus to come heal Lazarus, for he was sick. But Jesus delays, and he delays on purpose. And Lazarus dies and now Jesus draws near to the scene and everyone's crying, everyone's mourning. And Jesus does something really strange here. He asks for the tomb of Lazarus to be opened up. And everybody's confused by Jesus because they know, they know something about dead people. Nothing can be done for a dead person. No medicine can revive a dead person. No therapy can help a dead person. Even more than this, at this time in John chapter 11, the funeral is most likely over and the dead man is starting to stink. Martha tells Jesus, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. Well, the Lord Jesus persists. He's on a mission here. He's going to display his, his glory to everyone. And the tombs opened up and the scriptures record what Jesus does. Jesus cried out with a, a loud voice saying, Lazarus, come out. 
And John records what happens when Jesus speaks. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. What happened here? Well, Lazarus was dead. He had no power, he had no life, no ability to obey the Lord Jesus. He was dead, four days dead. But the word of Jesus came and his word created life where there was no life. We can go back to Mark chapter 1. What happened beside the Sea of Galilee? Simon and Andrew, James and John, they were busy. They had careers. They had families and homes. They had bills to pay. But the word of Jesus came, and his word created life where there was no life. And there's good news here for us, because the Jesus we meet in John chapter 11, who called Lazarus from the grave, The Jesus we meet in Mark chapter 1 who calls these fishermen into his service is a Jesus who still lives and reigns and calls. Jesus, by his spirit, as faithful preachers lift up the word of God, sounds forth his voice week after week after week, accomplishing his sovereign ends. And this is so glorious. We're not Christians because of our abilities this morning. We're not Christians because of all the wise choices we've made over the years. We're only Christians because the word of Jesus came near to our souls and his word created life where there was no life. And Mark teaches us, Jesus' preaching does not just command repentance and faith, but by Jesus' sovereign mercy, his preaching creates repentance and faith. And this changes absolutely everything we believe about the preaching of the word of God. Absolutely everything. We gather week by week. We show up Sunday after Sunday. We invite our unbelieving friends. We invite our unbelieving family members. We diligently, joyfully, carefully drag our kids along to church and sit them in the chairs next to us. Not for a lecture. Not for a show. Not for the sake of a dusty tradition, but that they might experience a miracle. And this is what preaching is all about. It's about miracles happening because Jesus is working. Our hope is that the sovereign and effectual word of Jesus would sound into their unbelieving souls and create life where there is no life. And our hope for ourselves as we we gather too is that Jesus' effectual word would draw near and sustain life where there is already life that he would carry us on, that he would continue to shepherd our souls with his word. This is the hope of Christian preaching. This is why preaching is so important in the church. It's it's Jesus' means to awaken and call sinners to himself. When you think about the Apostle Paul's ministry, he, he devoted himself to gospel ministry. He devoted himself to preaching. Why? Because he knew, he knew about this, this power in preaching, power in the gospel. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of God for salvation. We can move on to a second characteristic of Jesus' preaching. Now, Jesus' preaching was of an entirely serious nature. 
Jesus showed up in Galilee. He taught the gospel and he commanded saying, repent and believe in the gospel. And when Jesus called Simon, Andrew, James, and John to follow them, they were to bear this, this prophetic preaching mantle. And in the preaching of the gospel, the net must be cast, the fish must be brought in, and, and judgment and salvation must be rendered. And the Lord Jesus, when he talks about making these men fishers of men, reveals what's at stake in the preaching of the gospel. What's at stake in the preaching of the gospel is not the preference of, of people it's not the doctrines of men. What's happening in the preaching of the gospel is we're not fiddling around with the news of the day or handling philosophical opinions. We're not telling quaint and funny stories. Rather, every time the gospel is preached, salvation and judgment are brought near to those who hear it. We are fish caught in a net. The Heidelberg Catechism explains well what it means to be, fit, to be a fish caught in the net. It says, according to the command of Christ, the kingdom is opened by proclaiming publicly to all believers that as often as they accept the gospel promise in true faith, God, because of what Christ has done, truly forgives their sins. There's a lot there. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it means salvation is here and it can be experienced this morning in the preaching of the gospel. Whether you believe the gospel for the first time or you believe the gospel for the 10,000th time or for the millionth time, salvation is here, salvation is happening this morning. And as the gospel is preached to those who believe, the kingdom is opened wide and those who believe can enter in. But the catechism goes on. We're fish caught in the net of the gospel. The kingdom is closed by proclaiming to unbelievers and hypocrites that as long as they do not repent, the anger of God and eternal condemnation rest on them. God's judgment both in this life and in the life to come is based on this gospel testimony. Just as there's real salvation present and offered this morning in the preaching of the gospel, there is real judgment present and happening in the preaching of the gospel. If you refuse to repent, if you neglect to repent, God's judgment is actually present and even more, God's judgments are actually being poured out. As the gospel is preached to those who refuse, it summons, the, the kingdom is closed, its doors are thrown shut. Jesus teaches, we are all fish caught in the net of the gospel, and the great question becomes, what will we do with his gospel preaching? Will we repent and will we believe? So how does this change our approach to the preaching of God's word? William Stills is now dead, but he was a preacher in Scotland, and Sinclair Ferguson was, was with William Still on this day, and before William Still stood up to preach, he, he leaned over to Ferguson and said, I never preach now without believing that something will be done that will last for eternity. Those are amazing words to to think about. I never preach now without believing that something will be done that will last for eternity. I think William still gets to the heart of what it means to become a fisher of men. 
proclamation of the gospel and what happens when the gospel is proclaimed will, will last for eternity. It may be said of all of us, and we can take William Still's words to our own heart and our own approach to Sunday morning worship. It may be said of us, I never listened to the preaching of God's word. I never came to church. I never sat down in these chairs without believing that something will be done that will last for eternity. We're all fish caught in the net of the gospel. We can move on to a third characteristic of Jesus' preaching. The Lord Jesus preached with authority. The Lord Jesus this morning does not come to us as a philosopher. He doesn't come to us as a college professor with many footnotes and, and textbooks. Mark records, They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And by the word of Jesus and the word of Jesus alone, the unclean spirit is cast out. And by the word of Jesus and the word of Jesus alone, the sea is tamed and the winds are calmed. And by the word of Jesus and the word of Jesus alone, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. And by the word of Jesus, sins are forgiven and the the dead are raised to new life. And the crowd sees what happens with Jesus when he speaks to the man with the unclean spirit. And the crowd cries out, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. The crowd's amazed. But the crowd doesn't penetrate the true reality of who Jesus is and what's going on in their midst. And they cry out, what is this? And we can give a better answer than they can. We can say, this person, this man, he is Jesus the Christ. He is the Son of God. And brothers and sisters, when we hear Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, when his words come to us, we have heard God himself. What we have heard this morning in the preaching of the word is not speculation, but it is the word of God. And Jesus proclaims to us about his own words, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So what shall we do with the word of God this morning? Jesus preaches with divine authority. How should we handle Jesus' words? How should we receive them? Well, we have to do something more than the crowds. They were simply amazed, but amazement is not enough. Something must go deeper. A deeper work is necessary. We must respond to Jesus' words because we're caught like fish in a net with repentance and faith. And that's what Jesus desires in his people. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we do exalt you this morning. No one has ever preached like you. We are so thankful that your words are effectual and they're authoritative and that they're serious, dead serious. We place our hope in you this morning, Lord Jesus, for we are just like the fishermen busy about our own business taking care of the the deeds of the day. And we're just like Lazarus, laying dead in a grave, starting to stink and rot. We need your word, Lord Jesus. Call us forth. 
Fix our souls. Give us new life. Thrust us out in your service, we pray, by your word. Amen.